chapter and verse 15 says love not the world neither the things that are in the world if any man love the world the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father but is of the world and the world passeth away and the lust thereof but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever so back up to verse 15 it says, love not the world, it's spoken as a commandment. Uh, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Folks, us as human beings, that's a difficult thing to do. Uh, very difficult. We have to look at this like John was meaning it, though. John was meaning it in a spiritual manner. You can't take this to, ex to extremes uh, and say, well, you know, my children are in the world, my spouse is in the world. Uh, you know, all these things are in the world. We can't, we can't take it to an extreme like that. We have to look at it in a spiritual manner when John says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He goes on to describe in verse 16 specifically what he's talking about. And he's only got three things here. He says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. He says, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's the, the three, really, the, the three main things that will get us into trouble. Uh, all these things will, will cause sin, will lead to sin. And folks, it's been like that from the beginning. These are the very things that caused Eve uh, to sin and rebel against the commandment of God back in the garden. And if it worked then, I can promise you that Satan and his little minions and demons will use these same things and these same tactics uh, to entice us into sin and to, to tempt us. You know, we have, we have the lust of the flesh. Uh, what's the lust of the flesh as far as, as far as Eve goes back in the garden? She saw, she saw the fruit. That's the lust of the eyes, the very next thing. She saw the fruit, though, and it was desirable to her. It was desirable. It would please her flesh uh, to eat that. It would please her tongue, please her taste buds. She just, she just knew these things. Uh, and Of course, it goes on to say in verse 16, and, and, and the lust of the eyes uh, and the pride of life. 
And this was a this was a factor for Eve, and it's a factor for you and I. All these things are, uh, as far as sin and temptation goes, the pride of life. You know, the, when Eve was tempted by the serpent in the garden to eat of the forbidden fruit, uh, which is commonly thought of as an apple, although the Bible doesn't say that. Uh, but when she was tempted to eat of that forbidden fruit, uh, what? How did you? How did the serpent tempt Eve? He said, you shall be as gods. You shall be as God. You shall have the same knowledge. You'll have the same ranking. You'll be just like God was the very one that gave you the commandment to not eat of this forbidden fruit. You'll be just like him. That was pride. That was pride that got into Eve. He said, I would like to be like that. I'd like to be on the same plane, on the same level, on the same ranking as God. So all these things, once again, they... They were like that from the very beginning. They were like that in the time that Jesus walked the earth, and it's like that now. The, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life is what will get us in trouble as far as temptation goes and as far as sin goes. These are the three things that have been used from the very beginning to entice man, and they're still being used uh, to this day. In verse 17, the world passeth away and the lust thereof, that he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The world passeth away. What did he begin verse 16 with? For all that is in the world. Talking about the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. He says all these things are going to pass away. The world and the world passeth away and the lust thereof. All, everything that is in this world is going to pass away. That's why we can't let our money. That's why we can't let whatever prestige that we might get of men. That's why we can't let cars and homes and good jobs and anything else get in the way of our relationship with God. This Almost this entire chapter of chapter 2 is talking about fellowship with God from verse 1 all the way through verse 29 of chapter 2 of 1 John. It's, it's referring to fellowship with God and these things will get in the way of our fellowship and our communion and our relationship with God. It says the world will pass away and the world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. We're, we're going to live forever doing the will of God and it's not because of our doing that's given us eternal life. It's because of Christ's doing on a cross at Calvary that we have eternal life. Amen. But because of that sacrifice and because of the salvation that's imparted unto us when we repent and we believe, we will abide forever because we as saved individuals, we're going to deny the world. We're going to deny the, the, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And if we're not doing these things, folks, it's, there's only one reason for it. It's because we, we, we're not saved. We don't have eternal life abiding within us. Like I said, we can't look at verse 1 saying, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. We can't take that to an extreme level and say, I can't love my wife and I can't love my children because they're in the world. What did Christ say about his disciples? He said, they're in the world, but they're not of the world. I'm in the world. And I hope y'all love me. 
I'm in the, even though I'm in the world, though I am not of the world. And if you're a born-again Christian, you are not of the world either. The world and the lust thereof is what's going to pass away. The, the entire world is going to pass away. It'll burn up in a fervent heat, according to what I read in the writings of Peter. The entire world will. And everything that I own here on this side of eternity is going to pass away. But the salvation that God imparted to me through the, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his son, that will abide forever. That is eternal life, and it is living within me in form of the Holy Spirit. If you're born again, it's living within you in form of the Holy Spirit. And that has been it, uh, from eternity, and it will be to eternity. Praise God, Praise God for Hallelujah. all that. The world passes away, the less thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Verse 18. Little children. I like, I'll stop right there for just a second. Now, this isn't in your Bibles, but it is in a lot of church history that you read about the Apostle John. And the Apostle John's final days, really his final years, uh, it's said in church history that he was basically unable to walk and he was carried around on a stretcher by other men. And when he would refer to the church and he would refer to congregations that he was speaking to, he, according to church history, he always referred to them as little children. And his, uh, his most common thing that he would say was little children love one another. Little children love one another. Speaking to fully grown adults, uh, saying little children love one another. And I said I've read that in more than one uh, case of uh, more than one account of church history. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot to back that up. And he, and he refers to believers as little children several times throughout this epistle that he's written. Uh, so I have no reason to not believe that that's true. But anyway, verse 18 in 1 John chapter 2 says, Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it, that it is the last time. Something I want to point out real quick is the Bible does not refer to an Antichrist or the Antichrist. The word Antichrist is only found four or five times in Scripture. It's right here in 1 John. Now, that being said, will there be an Antichrist in the future? Of course there will be. I mean, the scripture describes uh, an, uh, the Antichrist, whom we refer to as the Antichrist, in several different ways. It refers to him as uh, uh, you know, the son of perdition, the man of sin. It refers to him as all kinds of things, but there is no reference in scripture to anyone being called the Antichrist. And I want to get that out of the way uh, real quick because a lot of the church world, they concentrate on who the Antichrist is going to be. Uh, and, and I, I believe that there will be an Antichrist, but Scripture does not uh, uh, say it in those terms uh, particularly. But it said, uh, verse 18 again, little children, it is the last time, meaning it's the final days. Well, folks, this was written 2,000 years ago by the Apostle John. He's saying it's the last time, it's the final days. This thing's wrapping up. That was John's take on the entire on the entire situation was Christ is coming back and he's coming back soon. Folks, I've heard that all my life. That Jesus is coming soon. 
You've probably heard it all your life. Jesus is coming soon. And I said this was written 2,000 years ago. And folks, Jesus is still coming soon. And in the, with the thought of eternity in mind, soon is going to happen. And Christ is going, and Christ is going to return uh, very soon. I wouldn't dare try and put a date on it. No man knoweth the day nor the hour according to the, what I read in the scriptures. I wouldn't dare try to prophesy what date Christ is going to return. because No man knows. Uh, but he is coming soon. And John was looking at his life. And he was looking at, at Christianity. Remember, this is the first, the first and part of the second generation church that John is talking to here. And he's saying, he's saying it is the last time. It's the final time. It's the final days that we're living in. He says, and as ye, as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. He says, we know that it's the last time. We know that it's the final days because of this wickedness that's in the world, because of all this evil that's around us, because of the persecution that the church, that the church is experiencing. This is how we know that many Antichrists have come. Many Antichrists are about. And remember in uh, the first chapter of John, those of you, or first John, that uh, those of you that were here when we went through that, he kind of touched on a little bit of false teaching, folks. That's that's a mark of an Antichrist. Somebody that comes in and teaches, knowingly teaches falsely. Now, I may stand up here before you all and be teaching something out of the scriptures, and I may get a name mixed up. I may say, I may say Jesus instead of Joshua, or I may say Daniel instead of Noah, or something along those lines. And, and is that false? Yes, it's false. Is it intentional? No. That happens, especially when you get names that sound that begin with the same first letter. Uh, I'm not intentionally saying something wrong. But for people, uh, for, for Jesus to have made it as plainly as, as he did in saying, I'm the way and the truth and the life, and for another uh, person to come in and teach or preach to the church, there are many ways unto God. That is heresy. Yes. That is false teaching. And that, that, that's the mark of an antichrist, someone who intentionally teaches uh, something falsely when the truth is laid plain, plain out before them, when they have the scriptures. That is, that is a mark of an antichrist. And antichrist simply means uh, uh, opposite of Christ or instead of Christ. That's, that's basically what antichrist means. And these, uh, these folks out here that will teach things like what I was just talking about, that there's more than one way into God, and there's more than one way into salvation, uh, folks, that, that is a mark of an antichrist. That is, uh, and that's something to be steered uh, clear of. But he says, whereby we know that it is the last time because of these things. And he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Who is they? He's referring to they here. That's the Antichrist. That, I mean, that's the only they that, that you can go to the previous verse and find. So in context, the they is the Antichrist. He said the Antichrist's plural. Uh, they went out from us. 
but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. Folks, this is, uh, John is referring basically here to perseverance. He's referring to perseverance of the, uh, of the saints, perseverance of those that have truly been born again. He says, these may have been in your congregation for a little while. They may have been in your congregation for a year or for two or for five years, but eventually they went out from you. Now listen, I ain't talking about people that might uh, uh, be in a local congregation such as our church here at Free Give and, you know, something happens and they leave to go to another church and it's nothing bad, nothing wrong happened, but God opens a door, God, uh, God does something where they can minister in a different way and God is the very one that leads them there. I'm not saying the local assembly, I'm saying they have left uh, their fellowship in the body of Christ that they may have had uh, with, with believers in Christ. But like I said, he says, John here says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. These people were never saved to begin with is exactly what John is saying in this verse. They went out from us, but they were not of us. They were never saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. They never truly repented of their sin, and that is why they're not persevering. That's why they're not continuing on in the faith. And, and he's, he goes on to say, uh, they, if, they had been of, if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. It says they went out that they might be made manifest. In other words, they went out that they might be, it might be known that they were never of us to begin with, that they might be made manifest that they were not of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. This is a verse I've seen taken to some pretty far extremes here. Ye have an unction from the Holy One, and I praise God that we have an unction from the Holy One. Amen. This word unction, uh, 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 you could about substitute that, and I'm not adding to or taking away from the Word of God at all, but you could about substitute that with the word anointing. Ye have an unction from the Holy One. We have an anointing from the Holy One. We have something from Almighty God. But what is that? And some some translate some other English translations of the Bible outside of the King James actually have that word for unction translated as anointing. But what is that? Folks, that is nothing more than the Holy Ghost. And I've seen people uh, take this verse and take, uh, especially with other translations that use the word anointing instead, and they turn that into something special that's referring just to them and to no one else. That's not what's talking about. He's talking about the common ground that we have in Jesus Christ, the common ground that we have in the blood of Christ and in salvation itself. If you're sitting here saved this morning, you are no more saved than what I am, and I am no more saved than what you are. I have no more salvation than what you have. Uh, but I've seen people take this verse and, and apply it just like that. And that is not what John is getting at. He says, but ye have an unction from the Holy One. But pay attention to that word, but, that this begins with. He had just gotten through talking about the Antichrist and how they went out from us, but they were not of us. Now he's talking uh, about the true believers in Christ and the local congregations and the local assemblies of God, the local assemblies of the church itself. He says, but ye have an unction from the Holy One. You have got an anointing. You have the Holy Spirit. And they never had it. And he says, and ye know all things. 
This is the part that's taken to very far extremes sometimes. I can assure you, and my wife will testify, I do not know all things. What? I do not know all things. And you know what? Neither do any of you. We do not know all things. That is not what John is getting at. Once again, we have to look at this from the spiritual aspect that John is writing about here. He says, ye know all things. Well, y'all have heard me say before, in Scripture, the word all means all, does it not? Yes, it does. But what is, what is he referring to here? Well, first, in the same verse that we're reading about here, he says, you have an unction from the Holy One. And because of this unction, because of this anointing, because of the Holy Spirit of God, we know all things. All things as far as what goes? As far as salvation goes. We know that salvation only comes from God. We know that salvation is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We know that without faith and without repentance that there is no salvation for any man or woman or boy or girl that walks on, on the surface of this planet. We know these things. This is the all that he's referring to. He's not talking about how, uh, you know, I, I can sit down and write uh, an arithmetic book or instructions and, you know, astro engineering or anything like that. I don't know those things. I'll be the first to know it. But I've seen people uh, 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 say that if we don't know these things, we must not have the Holy Ghost. We must not have the anointing. That's not what John is saying here at all. We know all things as far as salvation goes. I don't know everything about Jesus Christ, and you don't either, but I know Jesus Christ saved my soul. Amen. I know that there was a change made in me. This is the all things that John is referring to here. Amen. Not, uh, once again, I mean, if you go back to these other things uh, that I use as pretty drastic examples, but examples nonetheless, like astroengineering or rocket science or something along those lines. You look back to, or you consider what we read just a little while ago, that this world pass away, is passing away or passeth away, and the lust thereof. All that stuff's included in the world. I don't think I'm going to have any use for mathematics when I get to heaven. I don't think I'll have any use for chemistry when I get to heaven. I don't think I'll have any use for any of that. It's all going to pass away. It's all going to pass away. So that cannot be what John was referring to. He was referring to the spiritual realm of things. And folks, I ain't sitting here telling you, or standing here telling you, that I know everything about this Bible, as spiritual as this Bible is and as alive as this book is that I hold in my hands. I'm not telling you I know everything about the Scripture at all. But I know that God saved my soul. Amen. And, and I know there was a change that took place in me. I have not written unto you, verse 21, I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lies of a truth. Now we need to couple this with the previous verse, what we just read. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it. How do they already know? In the previous verse, ye know all things. All things that, that are spiritual, all things that apply to this matter. I've not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. This can go back to the false teaching that we we're just referring to, folks. And there's a lot of that uh, uh, goes on nowadays. There was a lot of it going on in John's day uh, while he was writing this. No lie 
is of the truth. So if you hear something uh, come from a pulpit or come from a teacher that is 99% right, but some of it is contrary to what the, what the scripture says, folks, it's all wrong at that point. We can't trust something like that. That's broken. That's, uh, that's not usable. Uh, in the in the walk of a Christian now, like I said, we, we can argue back and forth about silly stuff all day, and I can stand up here and mess up names or or maybe uh, uh, quote scripture but give you the wrong book, chapter, and verse that it came from. Things like that are going to happen. Uh, but as far as teaching falsely, as far as teaching falsely, he says no lie is of the truth. A lie is something that's intentionally told. It's intentionally, it's, it's made, uh, made a falsehood. You tell a falsehood intentionally. That's a lie. If we hear that something happened and we go, we tell somebody else, well, this happened, and we find out a little bit later that it didn't quite happen exactly the way we said, have we lied? Well, technically, yes, but... That wasn't an intentional thing that we did. A lie is something that, you know, it would be like me looking at you saying that the sky is green and the grass is blue. That's a lie because I know better. The sky is blue and the grass is green. He says, who is a liar? But he denieth that Jesus is the Christ. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? Well, folks, if they're denying that Jesus is the Christ, that makes them a liar. Period. That's exactly what John is saying here. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. There's a lot of denominational people out there that do not like that verse. He is a liar that denieth the Father and the Son. It's making a very distinct separation between the two, two of the three people of the Godhead, two of the three persons of the Godhead, the Father and the Son. He says, who is a liar but he that denieth Jesus is the Christ. He is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. You're not for Christ if you deny the Father and the Son. What did Jesus Christ tell some of the folks that he was talking to in the Gospels? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He says, the Father and I are one. The Father is in me and I am in the Father. But there were still two separate persons that were being talked about when Jesus said it. There's two separate persons that are being talked about while John is saying it here. There's one Godhead, and there's three persons that make up that Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus or John is talking about uh, two of them here. And that was one of those cases I've been talking about this morning where I got names mixed up. Uh, but who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? Now, does that mean that anybody can come up to you and say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ? No. No. That does not make them a Christian. How so? Because people make up their own Christ in their own minds sometimes. They make up a Christ that, you know, never said take up your cross daily, according to Luke's Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. They don't want to take up a cross. And they certainly don't want to deny themselves. And they don't want to follow Jesus because the world's leading them another way, not realizing or not, uh, uh, not caring sometimes that this world's going to pass away in the lust thereof. The world passeth away. 
and the lust thereof, according to what we read just a few verses ago. So we cannot just take someone's word when they come up to us and they say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That doesn't necessarily make them a Christian. What Christ are they referring to? What Christ do they believe in? Is it a Christ that lets them live their life any way that they want to and they're still going to walk through the gates of glory one of these days? Folks, that ain't what scripture says. That's not repentance. Repentance is turning from the way that you were. Repentance, uh, repent, uh, up to the point of repentance, we lived one life. When we repent, we're living an opposite life of what we were living. Before that, before repentance and salvation came into the picture and came into our heart and our soul, we were antichrist, as John is describing here. We were against Christ. We were instead of Christ. But once salvation comes in to the picture and once, and once the Holy Spirit enters into us, we live an opposite life. We live for Christ. We, and we try and walk like Christ, not on the water as Christ did. We covered that last week in the first half of the, the second chapter of 1 John. That doesn't necessarily mean walking on the water, but we try and live a life that's holy, and we try and live a life that's righteous, just as Jesus Christ lived a life that was holy and righteous and upright for God and to the glory of God. That's how we're to live. Who is a liar but he that denied Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denied the Father and the Son. If someone believes that Jesus is truly the Christ, what are they believing? They're believing that he was and is the only begotten Son of the Father. They're believing that he was and is the propitiation for their sin, that he was and is the substitutionary sacrifice for their sin. Your sin deserves punishment. My sin deserves punishment. And praise God, Jesus Christ took that punishment on Calvary's cross on your behalf and on my behalf. That's the Christ that I believe in. But folks, it goes even further than that. You read in the book of Revelation of Christ the Judge. The book of Revelation chapter 19, it says that he's going to come from heaven riding a white horse and the armies of heaven will be following him on their white horses and the Bible describes Jesus Christ and it says he doth judge and make war. I believe in this Christ just as much as I believe in the Christ that laid in a manger, just as much as I believe in the Christ that was crucified and just as much as I believe in the Christ that raised from the dead and ascended unto the Father. It's the same Christ. We've got to believe all aspects of Jesus Christ and all those different areas of his life. We've got to believe all of those. A lot of people don't want to believe that Christ is judge. Folks, the Bible says that Christ is judge. And he's coming back as judge. And it ain't going to be pretty when he comes. When Christ comes back as judge, we read in the book of Revelation chapter 6, Men will be running to the mountains and they'll be begging for the rocks of the mountains to fall on them. Because who can stand before the Lamb? Who can stand before that judge? No one. I believe in that Jesus Christ as well. Do what you want. Amen. Amen. That's right. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. Folks, that's a strong statement. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. Once again, denominationally, there's a lot of people that deny this. 
of people in different denominations, uh, different belief systems. They'll deny this. They'll deny, they'll deny that there's a son of the Father. Uh, but Scripture plainly teaches it, and it teaches it from the very beginning of Scripture. When you read, when you read in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That Hebrew term there for God, Elohim, that's the plural form of God. It's talking about God in the plurality, as in a multiple. I'm not saying that we're like the Greeks or the Romans or, or even some of the Native Americans or, or the Babylonians or Egyptians, that we have multiple gods that we worship. Folks, the Bible says there's one, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And I understand that and I get that. But our Lord and our God is, is, consists of three different persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you cannot separate them. They've all been there from eternity before, and they'll all be there in eternity, in eternity hereafter. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Folks, the entire time that Jesus Christ was here, the entire time that you read about his life throughout the Gospels, what was Jesus Christ doing? He was glorifying God. He was teaching people about God. He was revealing God unto man. And God, when he speaks of Jesus, what was he doing? He was glorifying the Son. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. This is my Son. Hear ye him. He wanted Christ glorified. Christ wanted the Father glorified. It says here, whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. If we acknowledge Christ, if we acknowledge Christ as Savior and as Messiah and as the one who suffered and bore your sins at Calvary, if we acknowledge him in this way, we have the Father too. We have the Father's acceptance. And, but that's the only way that we can be accepted by the Father. I talked here not long ago, folks. We've, we've been cast off from God. We've been, we've been cast off, cast away. We've been cursed by God in, in the, the garden. God cursed man and he cursed the entire world. The whole earth was cursed. We just sung about it this morning. We were singing Joy to the World. Talking about the thorns in the ground. Folks, I'm, I'm persuaded myself there were no thorns before the curse came. That would have been something that could have hurt man. It was a perfect world. It was a perfect environment. And man messed it all up. But he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. If we acknowledge Christ as Messiah, if we acknowledge him as the Christ, as the true Christ, as the one that was promised in the Old Testament and the one that came and defeated death, hell, and the grave in the New Testament, if we acknowledge him as such, we have the Father also. But once again, and I can't stress it enough, there's two separate persons being talked about there, the Father and the Son. Now I'll wrap it up. We got to about five minutes. Anybody got any questions or comments on any of that?